Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever it is that you're listening to us. We want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston. I am your host, Charlie Smith, coming to you from Providence, Rhode Island. You can find me on Twitter at Smith underscore MLB. Our other hosts for this episode tonight are Terry Cushman, coming to us from Myrtle Beach in South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine, and Cody Paulson coming to us from Houston, Texas by way of Ponte Vedra, Florida. Cody, how are you doing, and where can the fans find you on Twitter? You all can find me on Twitter at the Cody Paulson. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N. Come tweet at me. Come yell at me. Let's have a conversation. Uh, and just a friendly reminder, wherever you might be getting your podcast, whether it be on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please hit that like and subscribe button. We want to get these numbers up. Charlie, Terry, how are you guys doing? No complaints. You know, it, it's been crazy. This series was exciting. Terry, how are you doing and where can the fans find you on Twitter? I can be found at Cushman MLB. And uh, before we get rolling, a quick check of the ALE standings. The Red Sox are still, despite a very good series against the Anaheim Angels, in last place. They have a record of eight and nine, and they are six games behind the Tampa Bay Rays, who might have just lost three in a row to, uh, I want to say, Toronto. So still an epic struggle there, but I'm doing good. I'm back in my regular home studio, last couple of shows up in Maine, and uh, not the most ideal recording uh, situations. I'm also uh, enjoying a nice, crisp uh, Down East Hard Cider, and I've done my research. Down East Hard Cider is not owned by Anheuser-Busch, so... Uh, very delicious. My, my, one of my favorite beverages and, uh, how are you guys doing? I mean, at this point, I'm kind of like the Boston Red Sox. There are good moments and bad moments. And I think that's going to be how we start off the show. What in the deuce is happening to this team? Like where, where do you see this team going? Are we, are we Back to being a potential playoff contender? Is this Pretender City? What is your impression from the team as it stands? Cody, why don't you go first? As it stands currently, I think this team is going to be around 500, right? I believe my my win total, I think I might have been the most optimistic on the show at 84. Please keep me honest at this moment in time uh, if I said a different number. But I think that's exactly what we can kind of see and have seen so far by the team, right? You know, um, this team has shown a lot of resiliency, I will say. You know, they surely did not have a great series down in Tampa, but then they came back and played well enough to take three out of four here against Anaheim. Uh, You see it, you know, in microcosm and the macro level, the team doesn't really go away for the most part. And even those games in Tampa, apart from one of them, they were all close battles. You know, Tampa would put up a number. uh, We'd put up a number. You know, it might not have been the same number, but, you know, they put up a shutout inning. We put out a shutout inning. Um, 
I don't know if this team is necessarily a championship contending level team at this moment in time, but I do think, you know, if we continue to hang around, maybe put together some good series closer to the all-star break, uh, maybe some make some moves at the trade deadline, we could be um, looking at that wildcard spot. Terry, what are your thoughts? I am still on the pessimistic side of the spectrum. Um, two of those wins were because the the Angels kind of shot themselves in the foot. I mean, you had the game on Saturday. I forget who the starter was. That was the Nick Pavetta start uh, in which he only went four innings. But the Angels had a one-run lead in the ninth inning and then had two catcher interference calls that got two of their base runners on with no outs. And, you know, that was a very fortunate set of circumstances uh, for the Red Sox. And uh, they end up, I think, putting up three runs that inning. Uh, Ryan Tapera just couldn't close it out, was getting slapped around. They win that one. There was some errors in uh, game one that uh, worked much more favorably for the Red Sox. So if I can say anything nice about the Red Sox, for once, they were capitalizing on the other team's mistakes and, and making fewer ones. But uh, the the Angels were, were definitely a mess. And then today, the one game the Angels win... <laughs> At some point, I think I think it was before the second rain delay, one outfielder slid into and spiked the center fielder uh, going for a, a blooper. And it's like the, the three stooges in the outfield. You know, shout out to Larry and Curly. These guys are just, just not functioning uh, very well defensively. So I think the Red Sox were fortunate. It could have been just one win out of the three, and we're having a much different show tonight. But um, but if you can steal a couple, by all means, steal it. So this is where my head's at. I, Cody, you did say 82 wins. Uh, Jason also said 82 wins. Andrew said 83 wins. He is our, our resident uh, Red Sox believer that thinks that nothing can go wrong. And that's good that we have one person like that. But more than one is just, I don't know. I don't know if we can handle it. Um, th this is, I, I think a pretty realistic group that we have. Um, I don't remember the last time I saw a catcher's interference by both teams. I, I, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a catcher's interference twice in the same game, twice by the same team in the same inning. I, I, you're going to have to Google it. I, I don't remember the last time I saw that, but that's nothing more than a case of their catcher who was trying to just shape pitches and they just stuck their glove out too far and that's what happens so i still don't really buy this team i i think the red sox should have taken a minimum of two out of four three was the the, the baseline we we're able to capitalize on mistakes but that was what teams did against us last year they capitalized on mistakes we made a lot of them and they exploited that so it's going to happen, and we were able to come out on top three games out of four. Um, this has been a really just interesting series for so many reasons. A lot, and and for some of our studs and duds, which we're going to get into shortly, I'm left really not sure 
how to feel about certain people. Like, was this a flash in the pan? Was this a, this is what we can expect of the future type performance? Or is this just a, ah, no, we're just messing with you game. Uh, all in all, I'm happy that we're only one game under 500 as it stands. I mean, just to reflect, none of us had the the Rangers being in first place after a couple of weeks of baseball. They're currently in first. Uh, no one had uh, the Tampa Bay Rays three and a half games ahead of not one, but two teams. Red Sox are one game under 500. We're already six games out. Are we already out of it? I think we're out of the, the, you know, division, you know, the division right now. Could we get a wild card spot? I think Cody was the only one that said it. I'll have to double check my notes from a couple weeks ago, but this has been really, really interesting. So why don't we get into studs and duds as we took three out of four, uh, Cody, we're going to let you lead off with your stud for this series. Who was your stud? My stud was Garrett Whitlock. Um, it's hard to to make a starting pitcher a stud, right? You know, he pitches, he plays in one out of the four games or one out of the three games. And, you know, surely they have a great impact. Uh, but, you know, a position player or a relief pitcher gets their fingerprints on the game maybe uh, a little bit more. But for me, um, it was a little bit more than just what the box score said, right? You know, you can talk about the... The seven innings pitch, the three hits, the five Ks, the one earned run, and I think it was two walks or something like that, which is an incredible stat line. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was the first quality start of of the season for a Red Sox starting pitcher. For whatever reason, Cora has been pulling all the starting pitchers in the fifth inning, maybe the sixth inning at best. He's never really let them go deep into the game. And at this point in time, um, our, our bullpen has the most innings pitched in Major League Baseball right now, which is not a sustainable way to to build a team, to coach a team, to lead a team, especially if you're planning on making a deep run in the playoffs. So we have an overtaxed bullpen 12, 13 games into the season, 15 games, however many we are at this point. And you just really needed a guy to go up there, have an effective pitch count, give the team a day off, especially when you're playing four games in four days. Um, in the middle of a long stretch here. And that's exactly what Whitlock did, right? You know, he he kept us in the game. He kept the Angels off balance. Um, you know, it wasn't a, a high-scoring affair. And and he gave that bullpen reprieve, right? Uh, you know, the bullpen, I think, is in a much better position, um, you know, with with the likes of some of the, the, the performers today as well, which is just, you know, huge and sets us up for, for flexibility and for success in future series. So for me, it's got to be Garrett Whitlock um, going seven-fold, given the bullpen a break. Uh, was larger than what it shows in the box box score. Love it. Terry, your thoughts on Whitlock. If there was a statement in this series, if there was any statement situations, it, it was Garrett Whitlock's performance. And we've debated all winter long. Is he a starter? Is he a reliever? I think we're about 50-50. I've always leaned more towards reliever. He wasn't especially sharp uh, in his start against Tampa. He was phenomenal against the Anaheim Angels. First inning, three up, three down. Uh, No one gets on base. He did get into a little trouble in the second inning. Let's see. He gave up a leadoff double to Anthony Rendon. He was uh, later driven in by uh, Brandon Drury. Excuse me. That scored uh, what ended up being the only Angels run the entire game. Third inning, three up, three down. Fourth inning, three up, three down. Fifth inning, 
three up, three down. Sixth inning, three up, three down. And finally, in the seventh inning, three up, three down. He just blew through that, you know, entire Angels lineup after the second inning and commanding everything. Uh, I don't believe he even gave up a. Oh, no, he did walk two people. My bad. That was, uh, those were in the earlier innings. But um, I just couldn't have been more impressed. And. I'm excited to see more of him, and we're going to have a six-man rotation uh, for, I don't know, the next turn or so through the order, and uh, then there's going to there's gonna be some tough decisions that have to be made, but if it's Whitlock versus Houck, and, and that seems to be the debate that's happened in the last several months, I, I think Whitlock just took the lead there uh, with, with his performance against Anaheim. You know, going third is always fun. It's always cute and exciting. Not too much more to add. Garrett Whitlock was signed on as as a forgotten player, someone who did not get a chance with the Yankees, and we were able to really strike gold with him. If he wasn't on this team, you know, in 2021, in 2022, and this year, I don't know how this team wins 72 games. I really don't. I, I can't imagine what you would have had to have overpaid to get a rotation. You didn't want to pay uh, Michael Waka. You didn't want to pay Nathan Evaldi. But we signed Garrett Whitlock to a reliever's contract. He's really not getting paid to be a starter, and he's giving you starting innings. Seven innings. Cody already hit on it. That's the first quality start in 17 games for the Red Sox. Quality starts year after year have gone down. More teams have invested in better bullpens, more than one closer, more than one middle relief guy who can go two, three innings if you must. A rotation of six is still not going to get it done because you know you're probably still going to lose one, maybe two. Whitlock did fantastic, and I'm not going to take anything away from him this year. If he can continue to do this, 15 wins for somebody like Garrett Woodlock is possible. And for the contract that he's playing on, Red Sox are way underpaying him in relation to what some starters are getting right now. Uh, super thankful that he was able to uh, do what he did. I think, as Cody mentioned, huge break for our relievers. Cannot stress that enough. We have had statistically one of the most overtaxed bullpens in baseball year in and year out. When your starter can give you six innings, you're blessed. When you can go seven, thank you, Jesus. So incredibly just thankful and great performance to Garrett Whitlock. Terry, you got one more thing you want to add. I just want to point out that it was also a bona fide pitcher's duel between him and Reed Detmers. And Detmers' only mistake was he let one get clobbered by Justin Turner into the monster seats. That's how the Red Sox got their two runs, and, and it stayed a two-run game. So so he was not only doing his job, but he he also outdueled another pitcher putting on a fantastic performance. So it was it was a great game. The best game of, of Garrett Whitlock's career so far. Absolutely. Uh why don't you take it away with your stud, Terry, and then Cody, we'll let you weigh in first right after that. 
There were some good choices uh, this series, but I'm going to go with Kenley Jansen, who uh, locked down the save in the first two games of the series. Um, As I said on another show, it's nice to have a bona fide closer. And sometimes it's worth coughing up $16 million a year. And in the second performance, uh, excuse me, nope, that was the game one. Um, that was a ultimately a five to three uh, win for the Red Sox. So it was a two run lead. And uh, Jansen comes in, gives up just one hit, and then strikes out three batters. So absolutely dominant on his part. You know, they've been talking about how he's revamped his cutter and I'm glad we're not having a debate right now on who should pitch the the ninth inning because last year it was in flux for most of the season. Houck did a good job for a couple of months before the back injuries uh, ultimately led to him having surgery and Chris Martin uh, on the uh, injured list now had been pitching very well. So uh, again, I'm, I'm thrilled to have him. He's here on a two-year deal and um, loved what I saw. Kenley Jansen uh, has been everything we could have possibly asked for uh, up to this, up to this part. You know, even when he's gotten in trouble, he's figured out a way to get out of it. I think he's a hundred percent on his save opportunities and it's not like he's facing the seventh, eighth and nine guys in the rotation. He's going through the heart of the order. I think for both save opportunities, he had to go through Otani and Trout um, in this Anaheim series. And I don't want to say he made light work of them, but he definitely was up to the match and ultimately came out on top. I think this is a great stud for the series. You know, we definitely don't, I don't think we win both of these games last year and there's a good chance we blow both of them before we had found how can that spot. And then we'd be singing from the mountaintops that we need Whitlock back in the closer role. And, you know, we're just rinsing and repeating those takes, which is, I mean, time would be a flat circle and we'd be in a much worse spot. So it's just been, you know, a breath of fresh air and, and so just exciting to watch these late inning games, the high stress, um, and, and knowing that we actually have a fighting chance of, of having a positive outcome. Jensen has been you know, everything we could have dreamed of and an adequate use of the money. And, you know, some of these, these pickups that Bloom has been putting into the rotation, into the, into the bullpen, and into the lineup have, have been producing. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I said that Kenley Jensen's signing was going to be one of the most blessed moments that this team was going to have. I knew that this was going to be a good thing for Boston. We have not had a bona fide close in a really long time. This is someone who can shut the door consistently day in, day out. I don't lose any sleep when he comes to the mound. None whatsoever. This is someone that's going to get the job done. Two innings, hit allowed, three strikeouts. The second game he pitched, seven pitches. That's it. No, he didn't get a strikeout. I'm okay with that. Your level of consistency is incredible. Your first game, you struck out the side, you allowed a hit. You threw 20 pitches in two games. You probably could have played in game three if you wanted to. He threw 20 pitches allowed two, two balls. I said that Kenley Jensen is a sleeper pick to lead the league in saves by the end of the season. When he got his fourth save at that time, 
he was second in the American League in saves. We are not going to be a team that wins 100 games. We are a team that when we do win games, we'll win by maybe two or three runs, which means that is going to be a ninth inning opportunity for Kenley Jensen. You guys already brought up a lot of great points. I'm super pumped about this. I think that Kenley Jensen's going to have an opportunity to get 35 to 40 saves this year. I really do think that he's going to be able to pitch twice minimum in a four-game set. And depending on what games we win in a three-game set, possibly two out of three there as well. Uh, super happy about the pickup. An absolutely incredible signing. Two years, $32 million. Give me Kenley Jensen all day. I, I'm, I can't say enough good things about him. Um, anything else that you wanted to add, uh, Cody or Terry? No, straight. Oh, Terry. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, I was never a Craig Kimbrell guy. His whole tenure here was uncomfortable most of the time. And a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of head case related stuff. And, you know, Jansen was warming up today in case we tied it or took the lead and would have appeared in three games. So just imagine if we were a better team. If Rob Snyder was not our three-hole hitter, how many opportunities he might have had before? You know, he could be number one or number two right now in MLB. He just hasn't had the opportunities that uh, a couple of those other guys have had. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's not much to add besides that. Um that being said, we're going to slide into our third stud, which is someone that did not get a whole lot of love from Terry this year. In fact, he said some pretty bad words, some, some not happy words about my stud for this series being Cutter Crawford. I'm not going to rehash what Terry said, but this is an opportunity for me to, to finally get one in because everyone gave me crap for picking the Angels this year. And that while that could potentially be the wrong pick at the end of the year, Cutter Crawford just showed a brass set like we have not seen from a reliever in a really, really long time. Cutter Crawford pitched his absolute pants off in the fourth game of this series, striking out five guys in six and a third innings of relief, allowing one hit. One hit. Going through the numbers, he had only allowed more than 12, 13 pitches once, and that was in the fifth inning. And that was a grueling inning when he faced four batters, allowed the only hit of that entire outing. Cutter Crawford kept this from being an absolute bloodbath for the fourth game in the series. Incredibly consistent, showed something that I don't think we've seen from him at all in Boston. I don't remember the last time I've seen Cutter Crawford pitch like that, period. So... I think it's safe to say that in the last four years, there's maybe one or two moments or one or two times where we have had a reliever come out and do what Cutter Crawford did for the Red Sox today. Again, one hit, five strikeouts, 75% of his pitches for strikes in six and a third innings. Incredible. So uh, Terry, We'll let you go first, and then we'll let Cody go second in this one. What was your uh, input for that? It was certainly fun to watch. And, you know, he'd get pumped up 
you know, after getting a strikeout or, you know, as the inning ended, you'd see him pound his chest. And I, I always love to see that, you know, type of, you know, spirit in a player. Uh, and he is coming off of a, a pretty good start against the Detroit Tigers. But the thing that makes me not sold on him is that he's in the zone a lot. And I think some teams are still going to tattoo him. I think he's going to be prone to the long ball. He's not the type of pitcher so far that will paint the corners, that will generate like tons of, of swings and misses. He, he's almost, he's similar to a, a guy like Evaldi. I think that's the ceiling for him. If, if he proves me wrong and he exceeds all expectations, he's going to be that type of a pitcher who, who attacks the zone. But not everyone can pull that off. So I'm still a big skeptic of it. But having said that, I mean, he is worthy of, of being a stud for this series. I also want to say... If he came up on a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, he would be brought along exactly how he was utilized today. They'd give him two or three innings, and they would just give him that. That would be his role for a while, for maybe half of a season. Then he'd probably be moved into a spot starter situation. And then if that goes well, he probably becomes a bona fide starter. The Red Sox so far have just kind of thrown him into the shark tank, and it really hasn't worked well overall. You know, up until these last couple of starts, I think he did have one or two good starts last year, but but there's never been consistency. And they took a guy from us named Jeffrey Springs, who none of us cared that we traded to them and basically turned him into an, a number two or a number three. Now, he's out with an injury at the moment, and it, it could be a lengthy one. It's elbow related, but. He was pitching extremely well, and I, I think I just think Tampa would would utilize Crawford the way we have, uh, you know, today, and you know, in a long relief situation. So that's my take. I'm still a little bit skeptic, you know. I'm still skeptical, I should say, but uh, it's it'll definitely be interesting to see how the next uh, few weeks play out for him. Yeah, Cody, real quick. Uh, if he ends up being native Aldi for a ceiling, I will take that from Cutter Crawford. That's my quick two cents. Cody, your input, please. Yeah. I don't think we need this guy to be a top of the rotation type type pitcher, right? You know, um, I don't think anybody has earmarked him. They, I don't think anybody's reviewed his stuff and been like, this is a guy that can, can bolster your rotation, be your, you know, one, one or two, uh, type level starter. But I think he's a perfectly sufficeable three, four or five, you know, as his, as his game and his, repertoire continues to develop um he like you said charlie he he pitched his pants off today and we had no business being in that game after the way that it started and he very much kept us in the mix and gave us the opportunity to potentially steal one there in in the later innings uh you know with some opportunities that just didn't go our way um you know he got shelled in that uh opening opening start against pittsburgh to the tune of seven runs with those three long bombs that Terry's wary of, but he was a little bit unlucky. And and since then, I think it's been about 14 innings. He's given up two runs, only one home run. He's pitched a lot better. Uh, I'm always here for a guy that fills up the zone, puts the ball in play. Um, you know, swing and miss stuff is great. Obviously, you know, you can chase that if, if possible, but 
you also need to be able to throw strikes. You know, time and time again, we've seen innings unravel due to walks. So if the guy fills up the zone and he gets, you know, hit around a bit, that's that's okay as long as, you know, he's he's not losing his command. And I think that's something that we saw a little bit uh, better in these last couple outings is his, his command has come back. Um, another thing, just to get long inning relief out of one pitcher and not have to go through the entire bullpen makes him worthy of a sudden in, in this series. The weather conditions in Fenway were absolutely atrocious today. And to be as sharp as he was under those conditions, I think was was very impressive. Yeah. I mean, real talk. I mean, you've got the elements against you, Mother Nature against you, Terry Cushman against you. <laughs> everything, I mean, you got everything going against you, and you basically told everyone to hold my damn beer. And you pitched the pants off today. I wasn't a Cutter Crawford believer now. I don't want to say I'm a Cutter Crawford believer at the present moment, but I will say I have eons more confidence in him after that kind of play than I did before because I mean truth be told he has a bitch like that ever in his life and you don't want to assume that this is going to be like a flash in the pan you know um his name escapes me uh Galarraga the pitcher for the White Sox who had the no hitter that was taken away by Jim Joyce at first base on the last batter what's his first name it wasn't Andres Galarraga it was what was his first name? He was actually a tiger, I think. Um, but I tiger, yes. Sorry, yes. I know or, was it Armando? Was it Armando? I don't know. I, I. Anyways, you you're praying that it doesn't turn out to be that kind of guy. So I'm thankful that he pitched the way he did. Uh, any honorable mentions that you had, Terry, in particular from this game? Because I know there were a couple of standouts. Yeah, uh, Kike Hernandez finally uh, seemed to get himself into a rhythm, uh, was 5 for 13 on the series, had a hit in every game, uh, you know, finally, you know, reverting back to his 2021 form, which was a pretty good season for him. So um, I, I'm also thrilled that he's his hair color is back to normal. Lavender hair while you're sucking like the worst you have in your career not a good look it just makes it that much worse so normal hair normal kike in the batter's box i'm i'm was glad that he was back fair enough cody was there anybody in particular that stood out for you as an honorable mention connor wong I know we got off to a slow start and we lamented how many stolen bases we had given up. The dude is second in the league in, in catching uh, base runners now. So he he's really turned that narrative on his head. A lot of uh, runners thrown out at second base. Got to give the man props where he's due. So for me, I'm just going to say like a very, you know, this is going to seem like whatever. But there was one person that won the game for us on Saturday, and that was Yu Chang. Yu Chang decided to finally get his first home run on the year, his first hit on the year, and was in an 0 for, if I'm not mistaken, like 0 for 18 slump before he got his first hit, which was a two-run rocket over the left center, you know, over the monster. So I'm going to say Yu Chang for that one because home runs win ball games, And if you're going to hit one, you might as well hit it at a time that it counts. He struck out in half his at-bats. Is he a bona fide major leaguer? No. Would he be a major league player on any other team in Boston? Maybe one or two. But right now, this is the state of the Red Sox. 
I'm happy that he was able to do the work that he did. Props to you, Chang, uh, for that incredible hit. Uh, so with that being said, after that, what we're going to do is take a quick 90-second break, and we'll be back in a minute. All right. So after covering our studs and some honorable mentions, we do have a couple players that probably could have done a little bit better. We're not going to name drop too, too hard, but there were a couple that just could have done a little bit more. Cody, I'm going to let you slide into this one first. Who was your dud of this series? And I'm stuck in between a rock and a hard place here, right? It seems like every time we come on on a Sunday night or a Monday night to do a weekend series recap, we either took two out of three or we got a sweep or, you know, the team's firing on all cylinders and now we're trying to find a guy that's a thorn in our side. Um, you know, so I don't want to I don't want to pick too hard. All in all, it was a great weekend of baseball. You know, we won three out of four and, and had a chance to take that fourth one. But maybe we would have if, uh, if Tristan Cassis had played just perhaps a little bit better there. Uh, I think he was, what, like two of 10 in the series with one single, one double, and two walks, and the double on the walk came today, right? Um, this is just a guy that hasn't really found his footing to begin the season. You know, um, he had kind of caught my eye as somebody that was underperforming earlier in the year, but I thought, you know, hey, first time up in the majors to start the season break in camp, you know, you're not the the late, late season call-up. Let's give this guy some break, right? You know, give him a chance to you – know, get used to his routine, try to find, you know, some rhythm. Um, and it just seems like he hasn't found that footing yet. And he hasn't, you know, kind of found that stretch and it's starting to affect his confidence. Uh, you know, he's swinging a little bit more, striking out a little bit more, not uh, working those at-bats like we're accustomed to seeing. And, you know, the reviews that we got for him out of, out of the minors as well. Um, this is a player that, you know, I think we could have become a, a cornerstone player for us, uh, you know, Manning first base and, and DH as we move into the future, but um, he he just hasn't found it so far. Terry. So he's four for his last 29. His strikeouts are way up, and as Cody kind of alluded to, he's a guy known for controlling the strike zone, for having very good plate discipline. So it's been painful to see that. There were perhaps some signs that he might slowly be going in the right direction. He had a couple of at-bats, which I think were, one was 14 pitches, another one was, I think, over 10. So that's a product of, you know, getting his discipline back, and we'll, we'll see if he can, uh, you know, carry that into the Minnesota series. But the, the larger issue here is that first base has been a black hole in the entire Heimblum era. We haven't gotten any production out of first base. You know, we had Dahlbeck giving it his best shot. Uh, we had Franchi Cordero taking some at-bats there. Now we have Tristan Casas, and I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I... I wasn't too uncomfortable with the thought of Casas being put into that position right out of spring training. I thought, okay, he'll probably be adequate. And defensively, he has been adequate. He's been very good defensively. No complaints there. But 
you look at the state of this team being under 500, first base is an easy problem to solve for most teams. And the Red Sox are in a position where they it's either Casas or bust. There's nobody organizationally that can come in here. You can you can put Justin Turner there, but then who's your DH? You're not going to have an impact guy as your DH at that point. So it's not, you know, it offsets. It's not going to it's not going to help. So if the 2023 Red Sox are going to contend, Tristan Casas has to be a, you know, a bona fide major league player or we're going to we're going to sink. <laughs> this team will sink. So the reason why I have Tristan Casas as a dud and not even remotely close to an honorable mention, there are expectations from Tristan Casas. There aren't really the same level of expectations from Yu Chang. There are expectations from some of the other players that we may mention later on in this show. Two for 10 with a single double and a pair of walks, which is Cody mentioned earlier. The double and the walk both happened the fourth game. You didn't even play the third game. You struck out on average once a game. You're not really doing what we're, what we're hoping you're going to do. And there was plenty of mentions of, you know, oh, would the Red Sox consider packaging Tristan Cassis in a deal? There are some podcasters that we have in our group that would say, absolutely not. This is the future at first base. You can't imagine doing that. Dude, what are you getting? It's almost as if he's regressed. He hasn't gotten better with a year more of experience or more time in the bigs. He's actually taken a step back. And, you know, this is, I don't want to be insulting to the player that came from the Seattle Mariners. Uh, His first name's escaped me. His last name was Lewis. He won the rookie of the year in 2020, I believe. Um, for the Mariners, I can't think of it, but he was an outfielder and everyone thought, oh my God, this guy's amazing. And then he completely floundered. Now he's getting another opportunity with another team that's giving him a second chance. I don't want to say that Tristan Cassis is going to be in that bucket too, but man, oh man, we just lost Adam Duvall, arguably our second best hitter on the team. We really need someone like this to, to light up the Christmas tree on a quasi regular basis. And it's just not happening. So I'm really hoping that Cassis can turn it around and and offer a little bit more consistency. Maybe the strikeout numbers come down, the walk numbers go up, but just get on base a little bit more because two times out of 10 or two, three times out of 11, that's just, that's just not going to get it done. So we just need to see a little bit more from him. Uh, Terry, any, uh, anything else you want to add before you give us your dud? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I was a hard no on trading Casas. You know, because like I said, I, I believe that a minimum he could be adequate and, you know, his ceiling could be amazing. I really thought that that's what he could be. And he still could be. It's just it's just been ugly. And we've had a stretch of lefties, you know, and I think we're getting towards the end of that. So he'll be able to see some more right handed pitching. But one team that there were a lot of Casas rumors around was the Miami Marlins. And there was Edward Cabrera 
and uh, Lopez. I forget his first name. Is it Jorge Lopez? Uh, Pablo Lopez. Pablo was the Lopez. Old, yeah, wow, I was well. He just signed. Well, he just signed a really lucrative deal with Minnesota today. But carry on. Yes, and that's exactly what I was getting at. And then Minnesota, they traded Luis Arise, who was the batting champion last year, and is currently leading Major League Baseball again so far in hits. So it came out of price, but they they did get Pablo Lopez, and uh, he's got a four year, seventy five million dollar extension. So they parlayed a trade into a semi long term extension, and it's paying dividends for them uh, as far as pitching. We'll we'll get to that in the series preview, but but you know. <laughs> this rotation could definitely use a Pablo Lopez. Yeah, no question. And I mean, props to him for signing that deal. Uh, he deserved to get paid. He was playing for nobody special, but man, oh man, did he get paid. I will admit that I was not married to Tristan Casas and I was okay to deal him if the right opportunity came into play. Uh, I don't want to carry on on that one because that could lead into a potential another subject. But Terry, who was your dud for this series? I got to hear this. My dud for this series was my least favorite signing of the offseason. And all of my takes, all of my concerns about this guy are in my face right now. And I just can't believe we gave Masataki Yoshida a guy who's never faced major league pitching, a guy who's never been attacked with major league analytics. I can't believe we're giving him $18 million a year. If I'm Rob Snyder, I am beating on Bloom's door right now saying, you owe me 18 million bucks if that, that's what that guy's getting paid. Because Yoshida's been terrible. And right away, it just seemed like major league pitching knew exactly what to do with him. If the balls are up in the zone, in the strike zone, I'm not talking out of the strike zone, in the strike zone, he can't get the barrel on the ball. He's spiking them into the ground or he's popping them up. Another place he he seems to be vulnerable is on the outside of the plate. He's just not, not making good contact with the ball. And right now, I, I don't have his exact numbers in front of me. He's hitting something like 185. His OBP is is good. It's in the mid threes. He's drawing walks, but he is not the force at the plate that he was hyped to be. And certainly not the guy we saw in the WBC that had Jeff Passan and Ken Rosenthal just raving about this guy. It's just, it was an unnecessary gamble. I would have spent that $18 million on another bat or at a minimum, uh, you know, uh, a very serviceable starting pitcher. But this contract, I, it's early, and I hope he turns it around, and I really mean that because we have him for four more years after this. But Yoshida is just, he, he's not getting it done. And for a guy who's hitting out of the four or five hole, you need damage to be done in that spot. And he's got none of the answers right now. Cody, go ahead. We talked a little bit about his, his performance in the war room. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody necessarily looks for 
elevated speed as as a comfort spot, right? You know, I was I was watching a bit of the I believe it was the Astros Blue Jays game down here in Houston, and they were showing the average exit velocity of um, Jordan Alvarez, and everything was like ninety five plus. And I mean, the guy's an alien; he's an absolute mutant. Jerry, you absolutely mentioned it when you said it's still early, right? I mean, we're 17 games into his major league career. And yeah, you're right. There's absolutely a, a hole in, I, I don't want to call it a hole in a swing, but there's an area for major league baseball uh, to pitchers to attack him. But I want to see if he adjusts, right? At the moment in time, it doesn't look like he's overwhelmed. It doesn't look like he's pressing. It doesn't look like he's swinging out of his shoes to try to catch up to it. He's still working walks. He's still getting on base. You know, he was dealing with a little bit of a, a hamstring or some sort of some sort of tweak uh, that kind of kept him out of the lineup for a couple of days there. And, you know, I'm not overly concerned yet because it still seems like the approach that, he, you know, brought him to the Major League Baseball is is still there and the foundations are good. Um, you know, can he make those adjustments, right? A lot of times when players get called up, they either have – a really, really hot start, and then they absolutely sizzle out because, like you said, the analytics departments gets their hands on them. They get some tape. They can figure out, you know, how to attack the guy, and they don't necessarily make those adjustments, or they start slow and and they build and they continue to work and they continue to, you know, look at the film of their own at bats or their own outings and how can they improve. And that's really what I want to see out of Yoshida because it hasn't been, you know, the guy that we saw at the WBC that set the. WBC record for RBIs on a team that had Shohei Otani, right? You know, he was absolutely electric and seemed to put the ball in play every at bat. And if we can get, you know, even 80% of that, that would be a dream come true out of that four and five spot. So, you know, the weather's going to warm up, the ball's going to fly a little bit more, you know, it's going to come off the bat a little bit hotter. I'm interested to see, you know, can he make those adjustments? Can he shorten up his swing? Can he, you know, force, uh, pitchers to kind of come down into his sweet spot. What does that look like for him? Um, but it's it's been not the ideal start that we were looking for for him, that's for sure. There was an article that came out about Masataka Yoshida about how he is struggling to hit the outside fastball that is a little bit higher that Terry was talking about just a, a couple of moments ago. Well, it was a really big mosquito that just flew in here. <laughs> uh, he just cannot hit that strike. He cannot hit that fastball up and away. And he was saying that in a non-Major League Baseball league, that pitch isn't very common, and he's not really used to it yet. I think he will make the adjustments. I I'm not going to, you know, poo-poo him just yet again. 17 games. I was really excited that he came to this team, but it's still really early. He has time to make the adjustments. I hope he doesn't become one of the victims of the phantom injury. It's just really frustrating right now. And I understand why members of Red Sox nation are, are pretty annoyed, but um, I'm hoping that he can make the adjustments necessary because you don't all of a sudden forget how to hit. You can't all of a sudden be, bad after just breaking records left and right in the world baseball classic. That's what it felt like he was doing where everybody thought, wow, this guy could be real. Is he Ichiro Suzuki? No. Is he the, the best outfielder international player that the Red Sox are ever going to get? No. Is this the best thing we've ever seen since Ichiro? No. So I think we had to temper expectations. Why? Because I think there have been moments where players have been, absolutely incredible before they come to major league baseball 
the the dimensions of stadiums are different. Pitchers are different. Balls are different. Everything is different. So there has to be a degree of like a learning curve here. And he's, he's open about it. Like I'm not used to it. I have to work at it. He's not saying, Oh, you know, it just doesn't make sense or, Oh, it's not fair. He's owning up to it. And I, I respect that for that reason. I can't say anything poor. It's still too early. I'm going to give him a pass. Uh, Terry, anything you want to add? Yeah. I failed to also mention uh, in my take that he's not a good defender. And he doesn't have a good arm. He's got Johnny Damon syndrome. He's he he's gonna need a cutoff man a hundred percent of the time. So for eighteen million dollars, I mean, you have to be dynamic. You you got to be a dynamic player to be making that money, or else at a minimum you're overpaid. And at some point, he could be a bust. He could be a bust, and it's it's going to be very hard for Bloom to keep his job when he has to account for that transaction he made by signing him to ownership when, when things don't go right. Uh, Cody, anything you want to add about that? No? I mean, we've already talked about it. Five years, 18 million per, it was five for 90, right? 90 million over five, you know, 90 million, I think over five years, right? So it's a lot of money. And um, it's not the first time that the Red Sox have taken a gamble on a player that may or may not work, but I'm not so concerned about Masataka Yoshida as I am about my dud, which it pains me to have to bring his name up again. I just don't know what he's doing and I cannot stress enough how done I am with this person. And I'm sure he's a cool dude and he'd probably be an awesome person to have a beer with, but having beers with people does not translate to wins. My dub for this series is Christian Arroyo. Christian Arroyo two for 13, just a couple of singles, five strikeouts rounded out into a double play. I mean, his, his first struck his first strikeout that he had he swung three times and by the fourth at bat in that game he was so impatient he just cannot he's trying too hard to be relevant his strikeouts the, the pitches were like they were just all over the place he couldn't get it and he has not been a consistent table setter for his team are we expecting him to be an absolute star stud no but Jesus, I'm expecting you to do something. The whole month of April, you've had one RBI and you've had one run over your last eight games. You're not even, you're not doing anything. You're doing less than, than Yu Chang. And Yu Chang's had a hit in only one game this year. So I'm just, I, I think now's a time where Terry, I think I need to hear you say that we can't wait for Adalberto Montesi to come back. It's it's almost at that point where I need to hear you say it because I think we are at a point where we have to ask ourselves, is Christian Arroyo a major leaguer? Because right now, I just don't see it. So, Cody, I know Terry's going to have a boatload to say. Is there anything that you can say against that about Christian Arroyo other than, yeah, he'd probably be a cool dude to have a beer with? right now 
I mean, he's a Florida guy, grew up in the, the same county that my wife grew up, you know, went to, uh, I believe it was uh, Hernando High School, which is just always cool to see. This is a guy that I, I I had high hopes for when he came on the scene with the Red Sox. You know, I was like, man, we got a guy that plays with energy. We got a guy that plays with fight, with heart, um, you know, things that I thought that the the Red Sox had lacked since their championship season in, in 2018. And I wanted the world for him. And it was just a guy that seemingly – on the flip side of what he's done this year, always came up big in the big moments. Uh, you know, maybe he couldn't stay healthy. Maybe he couldn't play 162, but we didn't need him to play 162. He could be the everybody but catcher kind of Brock Holt platoon type kind of guy. And, you know, as much as we had just talked about uh, Yoshida's, uh, you know, approach to hitting and approach to baseball and not feeling like it's pressured or, or pressed or trying too hard. I think Arroyo is unfortunately on, on the other end of that spectrum. You know, Charlie, you had mentioned it. Great. He's swinging at pitches that aren't even close. And it's not like, Oh, he went up against, you know, Scherzer or DeGrom or, you know, Verlander in his prime, you know, he's going up against seemingly ho-hum major league pitching, right. You know, not guys that are going to be perennial Cy Young candidates and he's looking overmatched. He's I think trying to do, you know, he's trying to hit a five run home run each at bat when the bases are empty. And it's it's really unfortunate to to kind of see him work himself into a tizzy or or to spiral like that and and kind of lose, I guess what made him special or what you know brought him uh, to the big leagues in general. And it's it's a bummer to see, but he he definitely hasn't gotten off to that hot start that we were hoping for, or you know one that I think he would have needed to to start off a, a good campaign. Terry. Uh... I know you're going to have something to say here, uh, but lest we forget about Christian Arroyo. Christian Arroyo came to us, I believe, during the COVID year, and he was claimed off of waivers by the then Cleveland Indians. I, I say the then Cleveland Indians. I, I don't have to put any money in the swear jar for not calling them the Guardians, but that was a player that came from them. Terry, I know you're going to have something to say, so let's let's hear it. Honestly, I mean, I'm not riding and dying by Christian Arroyo nearly as much as I was a couple years ago when I thought he could be a, a very surprising breakout guy for the Red Sox middle infield. Um, I, I do. He's definitely off to a bad start, but so is Kike until this series. And I think Arroyo will likely revert back to his career averages. I'm, I'm somewhat of an optimist about that. What I'm extremely pessimistic about is will he stay healthy and, you know, en route to that. And just today, I mean, he kind of came up lame on a um, running to first. He was out and uh, a couple of steps before he got there, he was kind of grabbing at one of his legs. And I thought it was a hamstring, but they said, no, it seemed to be the lower part of his leg. So that could be a calf. I just think he's a ticking time bomb as far as his health. And I think that's going to be the biggest detriment. Now, here's the bad news. If I'm not mistaken, Alberto Mondesi is a switch hitter. So against righties, he will be batting lefty. That means on nights when Reese McGuire is your catcher, you're only righty infielder is going to be Kike Hernandez. And then if you're not going to have Story or Duvall back uh, before Mondesi, Mondesi is going to be back several weeks before those two. 
So that means Rob Refsnyder is your only right-handed outfield bat. So I, I don't really see Mondesi necessarily as the savior. Here's the other bad news. The only two righties currently on the 40-man that can be called up is Mr. Robert Vernon Dahlbeck, who I don't think excites any of us. Uh, but he, he could play your middle infield if if you prefer to go that route. Or, uh, you know, Sadon Rafaela could, I guess, be used as an infielder. He's mostly being utilized in the outfield at this point. But he's not off to a hot start. He's hitting like 242 right now uh, in double A, by the way. I, for some reason, I thought he was going to be starting in Worcester. And I don't see him being an offensive savior this season. So, uh, and I certainly, I, I would take Arroyo over Yu Chang. <laughs> so I, I guess what I'm getting at here is this is a horrific situation for the right side of the plate, you know, for the Red Sox. And, and Arroyo's not helping with this slow start, but I, I just don't think there's many good solutions if, if Arroyo isn't in the infield. Cody, anything you want to add to that? We are definitely left-hand heavy. You know, obviously, this team fully healthy. Um, it looks a little bit different when you get Story and, and Duvall's bat in there. But I think through almost lack of, of balance, he's going to get a lot more opportunities. And, and hopefully, he can, you know, kind of maybe have uh, a phantom IL stint or, you know, just take a couple of days off uh, against maybe a righty-heavy um, probable pitcher kind of situation to just give him a chance to, to reset because we really do need him in his bat, his bat in the lineup to, to balance out the righty-lefty splits and to get him going again. I just, I mean, I think I've said my piece about Christian Arroyo. It's been a couple of weeks. It's the same thing. I'm not seeing any difference here. I, I just don't have any faith in him someone who couldn't stay healthy, someone who just consistently was not able to get the job done. The amount of time that we've given to some of these players in the past has burned us. And this is someone who has shown us year after year, he can't stay healthy and he can't even be like, he can't even do what Brock Holt did. Because Brock Holt didn't get injured like this, so uh, I think I'm I think I'm done. I think I'm done with the Arroyo experiment. If he if he ends up getting moved and and we have to find somebody else, I'd be willing to give somebody else a chance. Because I'm just I'm done. I'm done. I, I just every single time he comes up to the plate, I find myself just like cheering for the other team. You know, just like please let this at bat be over. And it's just it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Uh, that being said, Terry, any other honorable mention does that you had for this squad? Uh, dishonorable mentions, you mean? Um, dishonorable, yeah, sorry. Yes, um, I do. I do. Uh, but it, it's not involving a player, a coach, or a manager, or even an executive. There's a new trend going uh, at Fenway. If you haven't noticed, it's been in the last several days where fans are pouring their beer into their shoes that they're wearing, that their sweaty feet are in, and they're drinking the beer out of their shoes. That's my dishonorable mention for this series. That is disgusting, 
And I hope those dudes are single. That way their lips don't touch the lips of a female or, you know, anything else. Or, or a dude. Well, I'm, not, I'm not discriminating here. I just hope their lips don't touch another human. Let me put it that so, way. So, so I'll say this much. For you Formula One fans out there, Danny Ricardo would be very proud. Danny Ricardo has been known to drink champagne out of the boot after a race win. It's been a couple of years since he's won, and he's a reserve driver for Red Bull. Man, oh man, pretty sweet. I, I, I'll, I'll never down that that man if he's doing it. Standard people like you and me, maybe, but not not Dr. Three. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it there, uh, Cody. Anybody else that you had on your list of dishonorable mentions? No, I mean, I think top to bottom, it was a, a pretty good series. I think we covered uh, a lot of players here. It was just interesting to see that uh, Terry's down on Shoeys. Um, you know, perhaps soccer isn't uh, <laughs> his area either because the Shoeys are, are big in that in that arena. Oh, my goodness. I'm just out but, of touch, apparently. And I, yeah. I, I, I am. I'd also like to mention Richard Blyer sucks and Heinblum lost another trade. <laughs> Yeah, I knew he was going to go there. I wasn't sure if he was going to mention on this show or in the future, but it was going to happen. I think my only dishonorable mention, I don't want to say uh, Brian Bayo, but Nick Pavetta, I, I know we haven't con- we haven't seen a level of consistency from him in, in a little bit. And he had two decent starts and one clunker. It's unfortunate that it happened on Saturday. We were able to pull it out, but he just... He just couldn't seem to get comfy. And uh, after allowing just one earned run in his first two appearances, six and four innings, but I think we'll we'll just leave it there and move right into our uh, upcoming series that we have. So, Terry, why don't you take it away? Who do we have for our first game matchup? Who do we have? We have Sonny Gray, who will hopefully bring some sunny weather tomorrow because miserable weather day you know with two rain delays he's gonna be facing chris sale and i've got good news and bad news about this um the bad news is and chris sales a big part of this the red sox have the 29th ranked rotation in terms of era only the oakland athletics are worse so that's a big negative. Um, and Sonny Gray has um, pitched, uh, you know, he's, he's, his ERA is a half a run, 0.53. Uh, what, what the Red Sox may have, not necessarily in game one, but at some other point in the series, is the, the Twins have one of the coldest offenses. So it's kind of a, an intriguing matchup that way. You got a bad offense versus good, good starting pitching. Or no, you have a bad offense versus bad starting pitching and, and vice versa. So uh, I uh, on the last episode, I pronounced Chris Sale's career dead. I think his career is over. And uh, I still think that cold offense will put up some runs on him. And uh, I have the Red Sox uh, losing game one. Uh, Cody, why don't you bring some uh, sunny spotlight to uh, the show tonight? Do you have the Red Sox winning game one? I don't have them winning this game, unfortunately. Um, To speak uh, in sunny skies, for lack of better terms, it's good to see a player that struggled so mightily in New York find his footing. He might just be a small market pitcher because he was lights out in Oakland. 
went to New York, couldn't find it, and then was, again, dynamite for the Reds and now has been uh, good for the Twins. So, you know, anytime somebody who has worked so hard to get to the major league level struggles and, and kind of finds their way back or finds their footing is, is always nice to see. Um, this is a player that has top-of-the-line stuff, to, you know, top-of-the-rotation type pitching. Um, additionally and unfortunately, you know, my prediction that, you know, Chris Sale, I think, what, wins 15 games with a sub-3-5 ERA does not look like it's trending in the right direction. So that's a huge bummer um, for me. Uh, yeah, I don't see the Red Sox win in this game. Unfortunately, I think Sonny's going to dice us up a little bit too well uh, for our liking. Um, I think if we're going to get a win in the series, it's going to be somebody else on the bump. So this is so hard because everybody knows my love and affinity for, for sale. I'm a huge sale supporter. I'm never, ever going uh, to down him here. I'm not going to say that he's going to suck. He may not have a great start, but Sonny Gray, two starts ago, allowed one run on four hits and struck out 13 Astros on a Friday night. Uh, that's just going to be really, really, really hard to surpass. And, and because of that, even if Sonny Gray allows three or four runs, I still think Minnesota is going to be able to just barely edge it out. So I do have Minnesota winning game one. Uh, game two, Terry, what do you have for the matchup? Game two, we have, as soon as I get back there, we have Joe Ryan versus Corey Kluber. Uh, Ryan is off to a pretty good start, 284 ERA. Uh, in two of his three starts, he's only given up one run. In that third start, uh, which was actually the middle of the three, was against the Astros. He got tuned up for four runs. So that's a team that could certainly do that to a very good starting pitcher. Uh, but he is coming off of a seven-inning, one-run performance against the New York Yankees. And I don't really see this Red Sox lineup uh, as, uh, you know, as, as a big threat to him. Uh, certainly, you know, the Yankees have some offense uh, going on, and he was able to stifle them. So I'm going to, uh, although Kluber, to his credit, and I, I, he was my other least favorite uh, signing this offseason. He has pitched fairly well lately. It seems like Cora's automatically taking him out in the fifth inning every time, regardless of the pitch count, uh, which is usually in the upper 60s. Uh, so I I still I, I like the Twins a little bit better. And I if I misspoke earlier, the Twins have the number one rotation in MLB right now. Red Sox 29th. Cody. This one's going to be a Red Sox victory for me. As Terry mentioned, Corey Kluber has been pitching a little bit better. You know, I think Cora managed his way into a loss in that Tampa Bay game that, that Corey started. Uh, you know, he was pitching, I guess, better than, you know, what the relief and the bullpen did. Um, I believe, you know, we were either early lead and gave up a seven spot or, you know, it was a close game. And then we gave up that seven spot and Tampa pretty much ran away with it from there. Um the offense for, for the Red Sox has been fairly resilient, right? And, you know, I, I think this is going to be one of those games where it's going to be close, it's going to be back and forth, and and ultimately the the strength, the resiliency, and the back end of our bullpen is going to help us eke out a victory here. Charlie, what do you think? I don't think the Red Sox stand a chance in the second game of this series. And here's why. I think Joe Ryan is one of the most underrated undervalued, underappreciated, 
unknown pitchers in the American League. This is a guy who has thrown three consecutive quality starts in two of the three games. The only run he has allowed, the only one, was by way of a solo home run. He has struck out 10 guys in back-to-back appearances versus the Yankees and the Astros. He's 3-0 with a 2-8 ERA, a .63 whip. I do not think Corey Kluber can hold a candle to Joe Ryan. It's just going to be blowout city. Even if Ryan has the worst performance ever, Kluber's still not going to be able to do it. So unfortunately, not happy about it, but Joe Ryan will win his fourth game in the fourth game of the season and the second game for Minnesota in the series. Um, that being said, Terry, third game, who do we have? That, according to ESPN, is going to be Tyler Maley. Uh, the MLB site says TBA, but we'll go with Tyler Maley uh, against Tanner Houck. Maley, uh, not off to the you know the best start compared to the other uh, two starters because I believe it was the Houston Astros that tuned him up for several runs, but. Uh, he's going to be facing Hauk, and uh, this is the one matchup I do kind of like the Red Sox. That's not an overpowering matchup, and Hauk has pitched fairly well. Uh, you know, not so great against the Angels. He only gave up two earned runs, but he did walk four and only lasted four innings. I think the Twins, you know... Slower start, I think, will kind of play into Houck's favor. So I will give the Red Sox game three of the series. Cody. This is the one that's, again, going to tip into the Red Sox favor, giving us that series victory uh, two to one. Um, you know, much like Terry had mentioned, uh, you know, Maley's not off to a great start. And I think Houck is kind of rounding himself into form. Um, we're going to a six-man rotation for a reason, right? These guys are pitching well enough that, uh, you know, we can't afford to shuffle them into, into different roles, kind of keep the the hot hand going, whether that be Crawford or whether that be Houck or, you know, Whitlock, et cetera. So, you know, I think the the Red Sox take this one and, you know, we, we keep it moving nice and happy. If I'm not mistaken, we all three called losses for the first two games. Is that correct? No, Cody had uh, game two as a win. Oh, game two as a win. Okay, all right. I stand correct. I apologize. So I'm, I'm also tipping the scale here. Red Sox are going to win the third game of this one. Um, I I just really like Tanner Houck in this one. I don't have that much faith in Mainly, uh, or Mainly, excuse me. I, I I don't really I don't like him. He's had one year where he's been super, like, even decent, good. Everything else has been all right, you're kind of average at best, and that's being really, really nice. But I think our average is better than their average. I also think Tanner Houck has – I think he has the it factor. I know it hasn't really shown its its pretty face in a while, but I really, really do think that Tanner Houck has all the makings of being uh, a star for our – our rotation and not our bullpen. So I will say that the Red Sox win one of three to wrap out the series on a high note with the win. Anything else that you gents wanted to add? Nope. Cool. Right on. Well, to all of our listeners, we want to thank you and we appreciate you. We look forward to interacting with you, whether it be out in public or in private via a stern talking to DM 
and to all of our listeners on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever it is that you listen to your podcast, we thank you. Everyone have a great night. Take care.